This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, the English language has a true weakness in this, that when it talks about the different types of love, there's only one word to, to make that description. And so it is that we use the word love for a variety of things. We tell our spouse, our, our significant other on Valentine's that we love them. And then we go to lunch that day and we love steak cooked on medium rare. And we also love the Titans and we love having an afternoon nap. And so love gets really, really muddy and it's not clear. C.S. Lewis wrote an excellent book in the 1950s called The Four Loves. And from that book, we're going to talk about the four different types of loves that we encounter on a regular basis. And the first one I want you to write down is the word affection. Affection. Affection is a good thing. We have affection for all types of things. It's one of the natural loves that we have. I think about our pets and how affectionate we are with our pets. It's always interesting to me how often a man uh, won't be able to be affectionate to his family, but when it comes a stinky dog that's uh, slobbering over the place, I love you so much, little puppy. You're so awesome. And it's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong because it is okay for us to be affectionate for certain things. And there's just certain things you and I love. We have our preferences and we have affection for particular things, whether it be music. And I'm amazed, and I certainly don't want to glorify this group, but it's amazing how... People are so affectionate for the Grateful Dead. And that's just crazy. We have deadheads that are, that have these, uh, picture of, uh, stickers of bears on their car, and their singer's been dead for years. But that's their choice, and I hope, did I offend any deadheads in here? I hope I did. Just joking. Uh, but, it's crazy. And, and I know some of you are very, very affectionate for something that's very dear to your heart. An orange pea. You love that orange tea for some reason. You have a little flag you put up on Saturdays with an orange tea, and and you have orange the, the, the most most dreadful shade of orange all over your house, and, and you sing Rocky Top to this tea, and, and you're just really affectionate towards it. And and you you people out there, I know there's some of you that are affectionate for a blue U and the K. I don't know why. Oh yeah, that's just, oh well. We'll move on. So affection comes it comes in a lot of different forms. And we love certain things. We love restaurants. We love certain things about our lives. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that is very, very fleeting. It comes and it goes. One of the ways love or affection is manifested is in patriotism. We're affectionate for our homeland. And we're affectionate for our country. And I just got to ask a question. When did it become uncool to love America? I mean, when in the world did it become uncool to have affection for your country? Because I want to say that I know America has had some problems. And we've done some things that are not maybe the best and things we're not proud of. 
But by and large, we live in the greatest nation in the world. And I think it's okay for us to love our nation. I think it's okay for us to have an affection and to thank God that we live here in America. And this whole attitude of, well, oh, it's not cool to be patriotic. Patriotism and affection for our nation produces better citizens and it produces better people. There's nothing wrong with it. And in Matthew 23, Jesus showed affection for his homeland. He said this in verse 37. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, your children, together as hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Here Jesus makes it clear that he loved his city. And he loved his, he had affection for his city. And he had an affection for his people. And I just want to remind you, all the things, the little things in life that you have affection for, it's okay. It's okay to have affection for them, as long as they don't take the place of God. Because when we take pride and we love things that God has given us, it just makes life that much more meaningful. Now, I went to college uh, at a very small school, there was only about five, five to seven hundred of us that lived there on campus together. So we all knew each other pretty well. And um, I lived in an athletic dorm uh, that was a very disgusting place to live. Now, you want to talk about hygiene being lost that, that was not taught on college. That's exactly how it was. And these uh, brute of young men would, would kind of have this, this um, ritual for their morning classes. They would roll out of bed, and they would look on the floor and find a pair of jeans that were on the floor, throw them on, not comb their hair, never brush their teeth, and then they would walk to class like they were in a coma. Does anyone remember that? Was that just at my college, or is that pretty typical of men at college, young men at college? Well, it would always happen every semester. There would be this remarkable remarkable change in one of these young men. All of a sudden, they would wake up early, they would brush their teeth, they would shower, they would groom, and believe it or not, this was the amazing part. They would iron their clothes and leave for early morning breakfast. It would be like this miraculous metamorphosis, this change that no one, no one expected And it always happened because of one reason. The girl they were dating had an 8 a.m. class. It's amazing what a man will do for a pretty girl. They'll change everything. Change everything. And and it transforms a guy when there's a pretty girl. They'll make a deep change. And that type of love, I want you to write it down. That type of love is romantic love. That's the second thing. Eros, where we get the word erotic. The natural love, the natural romantic feelings that we have for someone of the opposite sex. And there's an amazing story in, in Genesis chapter 29. You want to turn there. And in my Bible reading, I read the story. I've read Genesis many times, but just last month I read this story and I don't know if you've had this happen before, that you read a story and you know your eyes have seen this before, but you never really understood it. I think this is a hilarious story from the Scripture. 
We pick it up in Genesis 29, says, and starting with verse 1, then Jacob continued on his journey. We're going to read 11 verses, a little bit lengthy, but it'll be worth it. And he came to the land of the eastern people. And there he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over that mouth of the well was large. Note it was a large stone. Verse 3, and when all the flocks gathered there, the shepherd, the shepherds, Note, it's a plural, not a shepherd, but the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. They would return to the stone, to its place, over the mouth of the well. And Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we do. We, we know him, they, they answered. And then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. Now, here's where the story changes tone. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. All of a sudden, the story changes tones here. Verse 7, look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pastures. Verse 8, we can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then... We will water the sheep. Verse 9, And while he was still talking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel's daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Isn't it amazing what a man can do when he sees a pretty girl? Here these shepherds are just waiting around and they said it was a large stone and it took the shepherds to move it. Jacob saw Rachel and he moved that stone. He impressed that girl right away. Now, most of you men out there, it's, you have a common theme in your testimony. I love hearing your testimonies because most of you men, your testimony goes something like this. Well, I was wild. I was out of church. Then I met a girl. Now, how many know that's a very common testimony in this room? Then I met a girl. There is something about a girl that just gets men into church. There's something about a girl that gets Jacob to move a large stone that it took multiple shepherds to move. And that is those romantic feelings we have that are from God. There's nothing wrong with romantic feelings. They're feelings that are from Him. But they, they motivate us and they move us forward. One of the things we need to be careful when we talk about romance, feelings of romance, is that when we fall in love, that there is released in us endorphins that make us feel so happy. And it's almost like, there, there's been counselors and, and psycho, psychologists who have said it's almost like we're on a drug when we're in love. That we feel so euphoric and we feel so happy. And that's a great, great feeling. It's a feeling that comes from God. But it's not the type of love that will last forever. It will fall short. You know what? There are some other love stories in this church. Jacob and Rachel had a great love story. But there's some other love stories that I want you to see of some people you might have seen around this campus. Well, and it is true, and after 
coming up on 12 years of marriage, and it's such a blessing to experience romantic love, and that is a gift from God. But I tell you, one of the types of love that is undervalued in our culture, and I think that we don't realize the significance of it, is the third one, and that is friendship. I want you to write that down. Friendship, it's phileo. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's a natural love. My favorite character in the Bible is Jonathan. For, for so many reasons I could describe it. I've studied his life and, and I've seen a, a lot of parallels of me and him. Uh, just identify with him. And he had the right to be the king. He had the earthly claim to be the king. But God's anointing was on David. As a son of Saul, Jonathan was very capable. And he was a, he was a great leader. But God's anointing was on David. And so instead of being jealous... And instead of fighting God, and instead of making what everyone else would have said was a a justifiable enemy, Jonathan did something different. I want to read to you out of the Message Bible, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 through 4. It says, By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David, From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. And Saul received David into his own household that day, no more to return to the home of his father. Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, made a covenant with him. He formalized it with solemn gifts, his own royal robe and weapons, armor, sword, bow, and belt. I could talk about that story all morning, but... The point I want you to understand is there is a bond. There is a covenant relationship in our friendships that are gifts from God. Of all the things in my life that, that I've been able to do in my, long, my young leadership journey, I really believe my greatest accomplishment is the friendships that I've made. Because I've come and I've reached a point in my life where I'm a very, very rich man, and I say that to God's glory. Not rich because of my bank account, and not rich because of earthly wealth, but the Lord has helped me develop a network of friends. And, and I, I'm one of those that I've kept up with my high school friends and my college friends. And I have pastor friends from around the nation that I spend time with on a regular basis. And I have young adults who used to be students in my youth group, and now they're dear friends of mine. Here at the church, the church staff that works for me, they've also become my best friends. And they are such a blessing. The leadership board here, many of you who have been in the trenches with me growing this church, you're a dear friend. I think about Beth and for the last 12 years that we've been dating. We'll have our 12th year anniversary in May. She's been my very best friend. Knows me better than anyone and I'm, I'm just humbled that she still is a friend with me. And now I'm entering into the greatest, greatest phase of friendship I've ever known. And I'm best friends with Abby and Luke and Lincoln, my three kids. And it's a joy every day to spend time with them. It's a joy to learn with them and to grow with them. You know, and I just want to say to you fathers out there, you know, I, there's, there's a couple of friends in my life that I'm grieving with right now because they're not able to, to have children and we're praying and we're grieving together. 
But for those of you who are fathers, and you've been given this gift, embrace it. Let your kids be your best friends. I mean, discipline them. And there's another teaching that, that's very clear that, that our role is to discipline first and to be a father first. But what a gift it is to be friends with your kids. And we undervalue sometimes what those relationships mean. The bonds we make. You know, the reason that we're in community together as a church is so that we can have lifelong friendships. You can have access to teaching on the internet, on Christian TV. You can have go to the Christian bookstores and get, get access to perfect music. But that's not what church is about. That's just the front door. Church is about the relationships you make with one another. That's why next weekend when we have 242 groups, I want you to get involved in those. I want you to make meaningful friendships that will last not only in this lifetime, but for eternity. Well, all three of these loves I've mentioned are natural loves. And here's the thing about natural loves. They change. They come and they go. And sometimes dynamics can change. I've had several friends in who have just decided to end their friendship with me. And that's always a hard thing. That's always a hard thing. And I know some of you have been through the pain of divorce. And I just want to say I'm sorry. Divorce is a horrible, horrible thing. And even though it's very common in our culture, the pain you experience is very individual and very real. Because those things change. And you've been there before. Every single one of us has been there. If we remember when we were younger, maybe before we got married, that we really felt these romantic feelings towards someone else. And maybe they felt that way for a date or two or for a month or two or maybe several months and then things change. So romantic love changes. Friendships changes. And our affections change. Things that we were once real affectionate for, they'll change. But the fourth love is a supernatural love. Unconditional love. Agape love. Unconditional love that only comes from God. He is the only one who can truly love you unconditionally. I know some of you have wonderful relationships with your spouse. Wonderful relationships with, with your parents. And we saw demonstrated on that video, some wonderful marriages. But even the greatest marriage does not fully give you the unconditional love that God can give you. First John 4, 7 and 8 tells us about the nature of who God is. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Agape comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Now look at that last line. Because God is love. You know, do you understand that we have the wrong definition of spirituality? Because that is the definition of spirituality. How much we love other people. Everything else is a faulty measuring stick. But how much do you love people? Both the people that are in your life that you're supposed to love and the people you don't know that God will give you a supernatural love because His unconditional love is our judge of spirituality. Let me give you just four quick things as we finish this teaching. I want you to, we've already stated this in the introduction, but love is an overused word. Love's an overused word. I want you to understand that because some of you 
this morning, when we go to communion here in a few minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak some things over you about God's love for you. And you need to understand it's unconditional love. It's not, it's not affection, and it's not romance, and it's not just friendship, even though that, that He does call us friend. It is unconditional love from Him. He loves you because of the core of who He made you to be. He loves you despite of your mistakes. He loves you despite of of the, the problems that you have. He loves you completely unconditionally because that is who He is. That is the nature of who He is. And when we overuse the word all the time, it loses its power. It loses its punch. It loses its effectiveness. But I want you to know when I talk about God's love for you this morning, I'm talking about something that's unconditional, that never, it will never change, it will never run short. He loves you. He agapes you. He has a love that will endure forever, that will never change, that He set His love upon you. Here's the second thing I want to point out. Love is narrowly defined. And as Americans, and here on Valentine's, I've already told you that I think romantic love is great. And I thank God that I have that with my wife. And it makes for great movies and great songs on the radio. And it is a gift from God. But I will tell you clearly as your pastor that romantic love is way overvalued in our culture. We have made romantic love an idol. So it is that single adults feel like there's something wrong with them if they don't have a spouse. And that is simply not true. That is not true. That is a lie from our culture. You know, marriage is very challenging. And the illusion that romantic love is perfect and there's no challenges is just a lie. It's a challenge for every marriage, some to a different degree than another. But the point is this, is that you can have a fulfilling love relationship with God that will never change, that is all-sufficient, and that we simply overvalue romantic love. I thank God for it, but it should not be an idol in our life. Some of you are willing to compromise your marriage vows, you're willing to compromise your, your standards, you're willing to compromise God's best for your life because you're so obsessed with wanting to get romantic love that you have totally blinded yourself to God's will for your life. And I tell you that it is not the supreme love. It's great, I thank God for it, but it is not the supreme love. It is just, it is just one thing that is good. Love is dangerous, number three. We all take great risk when we when we love. And the last thing, the last thing as Beth Beth comes up here and Jonathan is love is who God is. That is who He is. That is who He is. Today we're going to take communion together. And as we take communion together today, I want to make sure that you are focused completely on the love of Jesus. I want you to make sure that romantic love is not an idol in your life. I want you to know that every love comes from Him. And that His love is what's going to fulfill you. And today, on this day that our culture recognizes love and Valentine's, we are here to say we know what true love is. Because it's not something, it's someone. It is who He is. Our ushers are going to begin to pass out the elements. I want you to hold those elements and hold them in your hands. And in a few minutes, I'm going to come and we're going to partake of the elements together. And we are going to experience His love together.
like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions of this by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. you to close your eyes for a moment. You know, one of the things that I've really felt clearly the Lord say today, and I just want you to hear this from Him. He said, let the people know how much I love them. And in this earthly voice, and, you know, I can't communicate fully how much God loves you, but I hope right now in the mystery of preaching of the gospel, that you would know that God has set His affection and His love upon you. You know, for many of us, we can imagine this all-powerful God who made the universe. We can imagine a God who has all knowledge and strength. But to imagine a God who's in love with us, who's crazy about us, who knows our weaknesses, who knows our, our habits that we're trying to break, and yet, he has set His love upon us. I know many of you say, well, I love God, but I just can't feel His love. You know that. The Scripture says we love because He loved us first. The only reason you have affection and love in your heart for God is because He loved you first. So, Lord, we receive that. Some of you, if you need to repent of sin today, God wants you to do that. I want everyone in the room to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus... Thank you for your love. I am a sinner. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Make me clean. Make me whole. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to receive your love. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask that this, this day, God, as we remember your death and resurrection, we would know how great your love for us is. The bread you hold in your hand is a body of Christ that was broken for you. Let's now take this together as we remember and celebrate Him. The cup you hold in your hand represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. Let's now drink this together as we remember and celebrate Him. Would you stand with me? Let's sing it and declare His love for us. Oh, how He loves us Sing that to Him now. Oh, how He loves us Just receive His love right where you're standing. How He loves us so.
This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.